All of those spectacular, uh, spectacular babies. That's what we're talking about in this, this series, those babies who came before Jesus, um, were promised, um, had just all kinds of hope and destiny placed on their shoulders, and ultimately point us toward the, the greater baby who would come when we're celebrating the season. Uh, welcome again to all of you who are in the room. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. My name is Dion, and I'm really, really glad that you're here today. Um, I, behind me, there should be a quote. Yeah, when someone in your life has a problem, the most helpful thing you can do is listen. Those are words from my friend, David Vandermolen. And uh, David is a guy who I became acquainted with a couple of years ago. He is, he is a learning sensei at Barry Waymiller Companies. Now, that's got to be the most amazing job title ever, right? Learning sensei. Um, and uh, Barry Waymiller is a, they're kind of engineering product packaging company. They're headquartered here in St. Louis. And they have a whole institute where they help teach people leadership and the skills of leadership. And they do it for their company. They do it for people outside of their company. And uh, David and I became acquainted. He has a background in ministry. And so we had coffee a few times. And, um, and, and during one of those coffees, David said, you know, I think you could really benefit from our leadership course on listening. <laughs> yeah. At the time, I actually thought it was a compliment, and then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, this is, I don't think this is meant to be a compliment. And uh, these courses are pretty expensive, but David speaks my love language, the language of scholarship. And so he said, you know, I can probably get you a scholarship to help out, and I'd love for you to be a part of this, of this course. I think it could really benefit you. And, and so I, I went to this course a couple of years ago, and I spent three days in Clayton um, there with other leaders learning about how to grow my leadership specifically through listening. And these were some of the first words out of David's mouth, and it was kind of the premise of the whole course, that when someone in your life has a problem, listening is the most helpful thing that you can do. And I got to tell you, when I heard him say that, I, I found myself immediately pushing back, you know, pushing against that. Because uh, in case you're not aware, part of the way I make my living is by speaking, um, not listening. And I tend to believe that speaking and doing this is pretty helpful. I was expecting at least one amen there. Um, maybe it's not as helpful as I think. But, but, but that's what we hear all the time is that we hear that our messages are true to life and, and they're relevant and they're, and they're helpful to people and they're inspiring and they're encouraging. And it's not just me, that's what we hear about our teaching here at this church all the time. And, and so for me to hear this, that, that listening could be the most helpful thing that I might be able to do, that, that not only felt a little absurd to me, that felt, that felt threatening to me. It felt threatening to my very vocation, my very position I believe that what I do is helpful. And not only that, I've always thought that, frankly, listening is, is a little overrated. Uh, like when my wife would say to me, you know, she'd be sharing a problem with me, and, and, and then I would jump in to help, and she'd say, right, you've heard this, I'm sure, from someone in your life, I'm not asking you to fix anything or to solve my problem, I just want you to listen. Anyone hear that ever? Yeah. And, and for me, I, I would hear her say that, and I would think, but wait a minute, we could have a win-win here. I could help you solve your problem, in, which in turn would solve my problem of having to sit here and listen to you complain about your problem. <laughs> Any other fixers in the room? Yeah, right. That's, that's how we like to do it. So for me, listening, it just feels so passive. It feels so pointless. Nothing gets better if we just sit around and listen, right? 
And so David's idea that listening is the most helpful thing that a person can do, it, it really challenged me, but I went with an open mind and I have deep respect for the guy and I sat and I learned. And over the course of those three days, I, I, I grew in my respect of the power of listening, but I also grew in my realization of how horrible I am at listening. And no offense, chances are the same is probably true of you. I, I think as a culture, we're really, really bad at listening. If you look around the world, I think we have to ask the question, who's actually listening to anyone? I know there's a lot of people talking, and not just talking, but there are people who are shouting, trying to make their voices heard, and and voices just get louder, and the language gets stronger, more provocative, more graphic, and, and there's more brinkmanship and partisanship, and that's what it feels like, Right? Lots of people talking, and the volume keeps getting louder, but no one is listening. And closer to home, we can look at the state of our relationships. It's no better, is it? For a lot of us, you have the same attitude about listening in a relationship that I do. Like, what's the point? It doesn't solve anything. How does that actually help? Or for a lot of us, listening is just what we call the space in a conversation where we're waiting for our next turn to speak, (laughs) or the space where we're formulating our next line of defense, or we're crafting our next argument, or we are putting together our next piece of sage advice. And the more I've been on this journey, it was three years ago that I attended that uh, that course, the more I really believe that, that our relationships are suffering that, that a failure to listen is not helpful to any of us. In fact, uh, there's a columnist, named, his name is Parker Palmer. He's a, he's a Quaker, if, if that matters to anyone. Um, he wrote an article called The Gift of Presence, The Gift of Presence, The Perils of Advice. Uh, and I love this line. He says, here's the deal. The human soul doesn't want to be advised or fixed or saved. It simply wants to be witnessed to be seen, heard, and companioned exactly as it is. And when we make that kind of deep bow to the soul of a suffering person, a person with a problem, a person who's struggling, a person who needs to vent, whatever the case may be, when we make that kind of deep bow to the soul of a suffering person, our respect reinforces the soul's healing resources, the only resources that can help the sufferer make it through. And, and I'm not sure if it's true that those are the only resources. I believe there are other resources. But, but I do believe it's true that one of our deepest longings is to be witnessed, to be seen, to be heard, to be companioned exactly as we are. And so our lack of listening is a bigger detriment to our well-being and the well-being of our relationships. And hear me on this, our, our failure, our inability to listen, and this isn't just on you, this is, this is like a cultural thing. Our inability to listen, I think, has a, a, um, an especially negative impact on our relationship with God. And today we're going to look at the story of, of a baby to kind of drive this home. And this is a baby whose whole life, whose whole story centered around the power of listening. His name is Samuel, and there are actually two books of the Bible that are named after him. We're going to start at the very first book of the Bible uh, that's uh, named after Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, page 267, if you're here in the room. It starts off this way. It says, there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, 
whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Eliehu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Aren't you glad you're not me right now? <laughs> I don't know about you, when I get to these points of the Bible, I just want to skip over them and I'm kind of annoyed. I'm like, wow. Uh, and yet, as Doug Moss pointed out last week, this is the price you pay for having a God who doesn't start off in a magical kingdom a long time ago, far, far away. Right? And, and, and even though you might not understand all these names and they can be a little overwhelming, even, even for me, and I, I kind of have a little more context than maybe most, uh, when I read these words, this is what I remember. I remember, oh yeah, this is not some magical story in a kingdom far, far away. These, this is reminding me these are real people from real families, real you know, lines, real lineages, living in real spaces in real time. This is, this is real stuff. So uh, in all these names, I want you to focus on this guy's name, Elkanah. Uh, we're going to read about him here in a second. So Elkanah had two wives. I, I always caution people, when you say you support biblical marriage, you've got to be a little more specific about what you mean, uh, because there's a lot of this in the Bible, and it's not always good, and we're going to see how it's not good here. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other called Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none, which is maybe the reason that Elkanah had two wives. Uh, we don't know for sure. Um, so we know that there are these, these two women. Um, again, Hannah um, has no children. Penina has children. They're married to this guy, Elkanah. We continue. It says, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. That was, that was before Jerusalem was the site where the temple was, where people would go to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, Shiloh was a place where the tabernacle was. That was kind of the, the holy city for a little while. And, um, and there were these priests, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, who was a great priest, a high priest. They were there ministering at the, at the tabernacle. It says, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, now, there was this whole, like, festival and process that you'd go through before you would actually offer your sacrifices. So worship was a multi-day thing, and you think 70 minutes is long. But uh, uh, when it finally came time for him to make the sacrifices, it says he would give portions of the meat, you know, you'd, you'd sacrifice, you would, you'd feast on it, and then you would offer some of that sacrifice uh, to the temple, to the priest, to the Lord. And so he gave portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. So again, we find out that, that Hannah can't have children. We hear that ref, refrain here. And in Hebrew, this is kind of the way that you talk about that. Whether God is to blame for it or not, whether he's directly responsible, if you're unable to have children, this is the phrase that people use, the Lord had closed her womb. Uh, and so because of this, because the Lord had closed her womb, because she was childless, in other words, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Now, this is weird to me. I don't know who this rival is. Um, I don't know if that's the, the other wife, Penina. I don't know if that's, you know, an overzealous mother-in-law who's saying, when are you going to give me grandkids? I don't know who that is, but um, there's someone who's needling. And so, and so um, this childlessness thing becomes a source of great pain in Hannah's life. And in fact, every time she goes to worship God, this time of celebration and joy, there's this salt being rubbed in this wound deep in her heart that she's not been able to have children. At those times, her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Isn't this great? 
uh, you know, like, nice supportive husband. You know, like, what's the matter with you? I'm amazing. Why aren't you happy? Why, why don't I make you happy? And just makes it all about him. And, and so you see, you see that Hannah is, uh, is deeply brokenhearted. Uh, and there's probably two ways to look at Hannah's situation. One is to say, Hannah, life isn't fair. Uh, yeah, we, we know this must be a hard thing for you, but, but life isn't fair and we all have our struggles. And, and after all, you do have a good life and you have a husband who loves you and he gives you the double portions and, and you've got food to eat and you should look on the bright side and count your blessings and be grateful. And you can imagine that there are a lot of people in Hannah's life who are giving her that exact kind of advice. Like, Hannah, you need to move on. Don't be so discontent. Just, just learn contentment and, and learn to move on. And, and so you could walk away from this thinking, yeah, maybe Hannah's a person who just doesn't know how to be content in all circumstances. She doesn't know how to count her blessings. She's not being grateful. And you could walk away with this, from this thinking that maybe Hannah, her, her lesson is she needs to learn contentment. And that could be. But there's another option here that keeps Hannah in this place where she can't move on. She can't accept her childlessness. And that is, maybe the Lord is whispering over her another calling, a deeper destiny. Maybe God keeps speaking over her heart. Hannah, don't accept your circumstances for what they are. Childlessness is not how your story will end. And and so don't get content here. Don't resign yourself to this. I've got more in store for you. See, contentment... In fact, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is something that we could all stand to learn. That no matter what burdens we carry, no matter what struggles we have, no matter what losses we've experienced in life, just to learn to look at what we have and to be grateful and to learn contentment, that's a really, really good thing to do. Unless God is calling you to something else. And see, I wonder... Today as you sit here, is there something that God is whispering over you? Is there a calling in your life that God is is speaking over you right now? Or maybe he's been speaking it over you for some time. And maybe you have a great life. You've got a million reasons to be, to be grateful for it, and you're pretty content because you've got the resources you need to get a home, you've got cars, you've got food to spare, you've got relationships, and, and life is good, and, and every part of you should be content, but, but maybe, maybe God is whispering over you, calling you to something else, and it's, it's creating a spirit of discontentment in your heart, but it's not an ingratitude kind of discontentment. See, again, because godliness with contentment is great gain unless God is calling you to something else. It's the kind of discontentment that comes that God stirs up in you because he's whispering over you some greater calling, not allowing you to accept your circumstances for what they are. I'm wondering if, if God were to do that today, if God has been doing that, I wonder how many of us even have the ears to listen to it. I wonder how many of us are even open. If God wanted to do that, if he wanted to call us to something else, if, if he wanted us to, to suddenly get you know, unsettled to where we are, even though we have a good life, I wonder how many of us would even be open to hearing it. I also wonder how many of you are sitting here today and you know, you know specifically what I'm talking about. You've, you've heard this whisper, you've heard this calling over your life, and yet it seems impossible, it just seems too difficult for you to do. I'm going to tell you, if, if you've heard God calling you to something else, even if it seems like the impossible, hold on to it with all of your might. Don't let it go. No matter how many years go by, you know, like Hannah, and you're still childless, and you're, if God has called you to something else, don't let go of that promise. Hold on to it with all that you can. 
because God is true to keep his promises. See, regardless of whatever's going on in Hannah's life, whether it's discontentment that she needs to deal with or whether it's a God-inspired discontentment because he's, he's calling her to something else, he's revealing to her a greater destiny, we don't know for sure, but we know that God is about to move. Take a look. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, so again, they're, they're in Shiloh, they're there to worship, there's this feasting that goes on and then you know, sacrifices and prayer and worship, it's this big thing. Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. It's kind of a weird thing. It, it means that I will, he will live his life under a religious vow. I will commend him to religious service. I will give him back to be a priest in the house of the Lord. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the priest who's sitting there, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, which is kind of unusual. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, girl, you drunk? Um, you know, like, this is not the time for this. You're at worship. Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. I mean, he sees this woman and he sees the pain that she's in and, and her heart felt pouring, uh, pouring out her heart before God and he says, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said back, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her own way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and they worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made, wife, uh, made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Her son Samuel, that name literally means God hears. God hears. But throughout the story of Samuel's life, we'll see that it's, it's more than just God who hears. It's Hannah who first hears the, the nudging of God that won't let her accept her childlessness, childlessness that causes her to pour her heart out. Uh, before God. It's, it's, yeah, it's God who hears. It's Eli who hears. And uh, in just a few years pass, and this child Samuel now is a, uh, is, is, he's been weaned, he's a young boy, and now it's time for Hannah to fulfill her vow and to commend him back to service in the temple. And so she does that. She brings him back to the temple. She offers him to Eli. Eli becomes his guardian, and Samuel enters the priesthood, the service of the priesthood. And, and as, as we look at Samuel grow, we're going to get a picture of who this man will be. His name is God Hears. But we're going to look at Samuel and what kind of listener he will be as he grows, even as a young boy. Uh, so this is chapter 3 now. Uh, he's in the temple. He's serving. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night, Eli, the high priest, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. 
The lamp of God had not yet gone out in, in the tabernacle, and so Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God, wa- the ark of God was, kind of right, right in the, near the place where God's presence was manifest through this ark of the covenant. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And uh, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back to bed. How many parents are having this discussion with a toddler right now or a young child? Go back to bed, go lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now I just got to pause here for a second uh, because we should not take this to mean that Samuel had never heard about God. After all, he was raised in a faithful house. I mean, you see the faithfulness of his parents regularly going to worship. You see the heartfelt prayers that his mother offers. Uh, Certainly, he grew up hearing the name of God, hearing what God had done for his mother, taking away her disgrace, giving him as a a miracle child. Uh, He's living now in the temple. He's part of the priesthood. Clearly, he knows who God is. What this is saying, though, is that even though Samuel knew about God, he hadn't yet encountered God personally. He hadn't yet experienced him. And, and I think there are probably a lot of us sitting in here today who are in that exact same place. And there's no shame in that. But there is an invitation. See, God doesn't want just for us to know about him. God actually intends for us to experience him, to have an encounter with him. See, I don't know about you, I, I don't come here because I'm I'm in it for the history lessons. I don't like history all that much. I'm not Steve Howard. Um, For for me, I I come here not just just to learn, not just to get history lessons, but I come here because I'm hungry for an encounter. I'm I'm hungry for an experience. I'm, I'm hungry for communion with the living God. Because I need his touch in my life. I, I need his help. I need, I need his supernatural intervention. I need his, his love and his mercy. See, that's why I come here. And if you're someone who, who here, you're here today and uh, for you, you know about God, you know the stories, you've grown up hearing about all of this. There's more for you. That, that's what this says. There's more for you than just that. There's more to knowing God than just knowing about him. He really wants to be known, experienced, and encountered. And if, if you're someone who's sitting here and you're going, yeah, that, that sounds good to me. That's, that's what I would like to have. I, I'm not in it just for the lessons. I, I would love to have an encounter with the living God, or, or even if that sounds crazy to you or, or maybe just far-fetched, today you can learn an important way that that can happen for you in your life, and you can learn it. Um, through the narrative of Samuel's life. You can find out how everything can change for you in your relationship with God. Let's move on. It says, so now a third time the Lord called Samuel. And again, get this. I mean, this kid's name is God hears. So every time God is calling to him, he's just like reminding him, you know, God hears, God hears. Do you? Samuel, God hears. Do you hear me? A third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. This game is getting old. Then Eli realized, sorry, we weren't done yet. If we go back. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And so he said, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, 
say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came, get this, the Lord came and stood there, right, right in the room, right next to him, calling as the other times. Samuel, Samuel, right? God hears, God hears. Do you, do you? Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. In fact, uh, read these words in yellow with me. Uh, read these together. Speak, for your servant is listening. Read it one more time. Speak, for your servant is listening. I think we could do well to memorize these words. There are not many of them. And to get in the practice of saying this all the time, because those words, those words are life-changing. See, Samuel would grow up to be a man, he'd be a priest, he would be one of the greatest priests, uh, the greatest priest, as far as I'm concerned, in Israel's history. And Samuel would be greater than the kings that served with him, greater than, than many who would follow after him. He was a man who served boldly, he did miraculous things, he served God faithfully. There are two books of the Bible named after him. I mean, he, he's, he, he, you know, he did something for himself. But the key to Samuel's life transformation, his success, his life of impact is right here. That at a very young age, he learned these words, speak for your servant is listening. See, see listening, learning to hear the voice of God who is, who is always speaking. He not only hears, but he's always speaking. To, to learn to hear the voice of God, it is a life-changing thing. That's the key to encountering God and experiencing him is through his voice. In the beginning, he spoke words and those words formed the whole world and, and in the fullness of time, he, he spoke and in his word, Jesus became flesh and, and he dwelt among us. And, and so God loves to speak and, and our ability to hear him, our openness to hearing him can be this transformational thing that takes us from just, just hearing about God and knowing about him to encountering him and experiencing him in a life-changing way. But this is not some weird act of magic or some weird thing that you have to do uh, to, 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 to hear God. You don't have to you know, go through a whole ritual to do it. It's pretty simple. It's, it's Samuel lying on his mat and saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What would happen if you woke up every morning or every, every night before you went to bed, if, if you just opened yourself up that way and just said that to God? Speak, Lord, if there's anything you want to say to me, I'm I'm listening. Or it's as simple as Jesus who very often, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, would go and find a solitary place away from everyone else. Why? So that he could talk with his father. Notice I said talk with, not talk to. So he could talk with his father. For me, um, hiking is one of those, those places where I often, not always, but I often can get quiet enough and still enough to hear, to, to really listen and I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've had encounters with God. And I know that sounds weird and it's maybe not as fantastical as it, as it seems, not visually, not audibly, but, but powerfully encountering God and his, his calling in my life while I'm out on a hike. And it, and it leaves me wondering, why don't I do this more often? Why don't I go out and hike and, and get quiet and get still? And the only conclusion I can come to is that I don't yet know how powerful simply listening can be but I'm trying to get there. I'm working so hard to, to become a better listener and to value listening 
in a greater uh, measure in my relationships with people and in my relationship with God. And I really think you should too. I, I think listening is transformational. And, and, and just to make this clear, here's some of the reasons why. First, I do believe that listening is one of, I'm a preacher, I can't say it's the most helpful thing, but um, listening is one of the most helpful things a person can do. I believe that. I believe that a soul, most, most of our souls when we're struggling, when, when we're going through a hard time, that what we want more than advice is just to be witnessed, to be seen, heard, companioned exactly as we are. And every day that I get on Facebook, um, this, this is just proven to me all over again. Uh, anyone occasionally prone, you don't have to raise your hand, just uh, occasionally prone to getting on Facebook and ranting about something, a bad day, uh, a hardship, or do you know anyone in your life who's like that? Again, don't raise hands. Um, yeah, I, I see that happening, and, uh, and, and then what's interesting is I see when you look at the comments, the long stream of comments that are all about, hey, look on the bright side, here's some advice, have you tried this, you should do this, oh yeah, yeah, you know, like trying to fix the problem or trying to change the person's perspective. And for a long time, I, I would have been one of those comments, I would have been one of those people going, hey, have you got a problem? I can help you fix it, I'm great with advice. But I realize now what those rants are actually about. Most of the time, they are not people looking for advice. They're not looking for help. They're not, they're looking just to be witnessed. They they want so badly to be seen and heard. See, in my own life, I'm realizing that more often, when, when I'm going through a hard time, when I'm struggling, when I feel lost or confused, more often than not, that's what I want to I just want someone to see me. I want to be heard. I want someone to join me wherever I am. Because when, when I feel seen and heard, when I have someone join me, then, then, then I can have the power to go on. When I feel witnessed and companioned. When I feel like everyone outside doesn't understand me and they're just telling me I'm doing it wrong and they're preaching advice at me and they're saying if you were only, you know, if you'd try harder, if you'd do this better, if you'd get your act together, that just further alienates me and makes me feel overwhelmed. I don't know about you. And, And so I really believe that listening in our relationships is one of the most helpful things a person can do. Second, I'm not talking about our human relationships, but talk about our relationship with God. See, see, listening I also believe comes before trust or obedience. See, listening is a result not of, uh, I'm sorry, trust and obedience aren't a result of, of, of necessarily great faith. I think they're often a result of people who, who can hear clearly what God is calling them to do. Sometimes we look at people in the Bible and, um, and we, we look at them with awe at what they do. The you know, bold things that they do, the, the crazy callings that they fulfill. Uh, and we look at them with awe and admiration. But, but I think what we often miss is that most of the people in the Bible who do something great in the name of God first were called. They were called. Which means God spoke and they heard it. And when you hear clearly, God give you your marching orders. It doesn't take as much courage or faith as you might think when, when you're clearly hearing from God. In fact, when I'm feeling scared as a leader, when I'm feeling frightened, when I feel uncertain, that's usually a sign to me that either I didn't listen well enough, I didn't take the time to go and listen to God before I stepped out into this thing, or that I heard him and I kind of forgot what he said, or I just need to go back and say, God, I need you to reassure me. I need you to speak to me again. Because when I, when I feel called, when I know what God has called me to do, 
It doesn't take near as much courage or strength as you might think. You're just doing what you know you were told to do. And it's not near as heroic or amazing as you might think. And so even in our faith, when we're talking about trusting God's promises or, or obeying or following God's calling in our life, and that sounds like such a, such a weird thing, I'm telling you, if you hear God speak it over you, it's not near as difficult as you might expect. It's still hard. It still requires faith. But not nearly as much as you might think when you hear him call you. Third, uh, listening is the key to feeling heard. Now, I, it sounds like I already said this, and what I don't mean is listening is the key to helping other people feel heard. What I mean is listening is the key to helping you yourself feel heard. If you don't feel heard in life, then that's an important cue that you probably need to get better at listening. See, shouting begets shouting, right? Start yelling at your kids or yelling at your spouse, chances are they're going to yell back, and pretty soon everybody's yelling. But you know what? Listening also begets listening. And it's the person who listens best who will always have the greatest audience with others. See, for me, there are moments in my life where I don't feel very heard, and that's a really isolating, lonely thing. And and what I realize is that often that's because of how I listen to others. When I listen to others, I'm not fully listening. I'm trying to solve their problems. I'm being critical. I'm thinking about other stuff. And in my imagination, because I'm such a bad listener, when, when I'm sharing, I imagine that that's exactly what people are doing to me, which is pretty terrifying when you're a preacher and you're talking to people and you're just wondering, like, are they just out there critiquing me or, you know... But when I started to to work on listening and and actually experiencing what it's like to listen to someone, that was the key to me finally being able to share and feeling heard. Uh, Finally, fourth, listening changes relationships. It does. If you are stuck, if you are stuck in a relationship and you're feeling hopeless and you don't know where to go, try listening. I mean, really listening. And if you don't know how to do that, I didn't either take a class, read a book, go see a counselor. They can help you. But, but also this, if you feel stuck in your relationship with God, if it feels stale, if it feels rote, if it feels empty, if you feel like you, you just come and you just hear a bunch of lessons and a bunch of stuff and, and there's no life in it, and you're feeling distant from the love of God or the promises of God or the hope of God and, and you're just kind of numb, if you want to see your relationship with God transformed, Try listening. Go on a retreat. Seek out a spiritual guide. Get up very early in the morning while it's still dark like Jesus did. Uh, Sit in the morning and say, speak, your servant is listening, and just wait and see if there's anything that God wants to say. Learn how to listen. See, 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 this was the key for Samuel. This is why he became such a great leader and such a great man. It's because from a very young age, he learned the power of those words, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so when God spoke and told him to do, to do things, crazy, miraculous things, he went out and he did those things because he was clear on what God was asking him to do. And when God told him to deliver hard messages to kings and people in authority, he could do it, not because he was so brave, but because he heard clearly. He knew exactly what God was calling him to do. And of course, this child Samuel, 
Um, he did great things in his day, but, but what we see through Samuel, this, this baby who, who grew into a man who knew how to listen, is, is we see him preparing us for this other child who would come, this child who we celebrate at Christmas, who, who would be a listener at unprecedented levels. Do you realize that, that Jesus came onto the scene and the reason he always had crowds of people around him was because he would go to the least of these, people who were labeled sinners and people who were poor and people who were just cast out by society. And and for the first time in their lives, they felt witnessed and companioned and seen and heard because of the kind of person Jesus was. And as a result, because of of how seen and heard and witnessed they felt, they they literally followed him everywhere and they hung on his every word because no one ever treated him, treated them rather that way. And not only that, but but we see in Jesus this, this man who is so attuned to his father's words that he does amazing things, courageous things, miraculous things. And, and, And then he marches faithfully to a cross and he offers up his life. I mean, you think about how Jesus could do that, how, how he could think that was okay, how he could think that was a good idea. It's because he heard the voice of his father saying, this is what I want for you and this is what I want for the world and it's gonna be okay. And guess what? In the end, it was okay. See, listening is transformational in your life, in your relationships, in your faith. And the great thing about Advent is that it's really intended to be a season of of getting quiet, of pondering, of listening. And the irony, of course, is that it's the craziest season of our whole year. And I wonder if that's intentional, an intentional plot of of the evil one to take a season where, where we should be digging deep and just opening ourselves up and listening and filling it with so much noise that we can't even hear ourselves think, let alone hear the voice of God speaking over us. But I'm going to encourage you to uh, begin to take the rest of the season back, starting right now. I want to give you just a few seconds of quiet where you can be still. You can breathe in and breathe out. You can exhale. You can say to God in your heart, God, I'm, I'm here. Speak. Your servant is listening. If there's anything you want to say to me, I want to hear from you. In the next few seconds, I just want to practice I want you to practice getting quiet and see what God might choose to do.